1966 was a complicated year in the Beatles' career. John Lennon's comments about Jesus Christ affected the band's image considerably. Incidental situations in the tours became more and more frequent, from the mistreatment in the Philippines to the protests in Japan to stop them from performing at the Budokan, the press conferences were more and more tense. The band's relationship was wearing out, and they gave the impression of being distant. John, George, and Ringo were already married men, and McCartney was moving away from family life to get involved in movements that were in London in those years. As the months went by, the composition evenings between Lennon and McCartney were less frequent. They all started to work on their own, to have alternate projects. Live, things were not looking good. They received threats in every city, and they would experience their last American tour a few months later, hand in hand with their interest in studio work, experimentation, and artistic evolution as their escape route, and already with the basis of an album as an artistic piece in Rubber Soul. Revolver represented a radical change in the rules of the game. This week's When They Was Fab, I'm Ed Chin. And I'm John Stone. Well, okay, so following up on our review last week of EP3, we've been chatting about what exactly is Ringo doing with this promotional material? Well, he's trying to sell something. If you're out there and you haven't seen any of this stuff, Ringo's put out about four different photos of, well, product and his feet. Ringo! Skin shoes. Uh, sometimes he's barefoot. Sometimes he's in. Hey, barefoot. Maybe he's trying to go back and get the Paul is dead crowd, huh? <laughs> yeah, you keep thinking that. <laughs> so sometimes bare feet. There's a couple of them in different pairs of sandals, adorned with peace on his right foot and love on his left foot. Soon to be at an Apple store near you. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. Either that or, you know, maybe fans send it to him. It's like, here, Ringo. It could be just a picture from an 82-year-old man going, hey, look at my new shoes. 
<laughs> yeah, that's true. The 82-year-olds we know who do know about their iPhones and social media are likely <laughs> to uh, give us some pretty weird stuff. And don't you dare say that it's weird. Well, we'll put that in that category for sure. <laughs> I don't know if Jeff Johns approves. I don't know if you and me approves, but... I can't wait to see what Ringo is going to do with the full revolver box. <laughs> I mean, he, he was the one who showed it to us for the very first time in True. his video, but that was that was a whole honest to goodness shot of him holding it up. If he follows this feet theme, maybe the uh, campaign will be: if you take a walk, I'll tax <laughs> your feet. <laughs> there you go. That almost works. <laughs> Someone was like, no, really, Ringo, don't do that. (laughs) Well, we were saying they should be more involved with the promotion. And, well, Ringo's (laughs) trying, at least. Right. Don't don't want to say how good it is. And don't want to mention other things about, well, feet. And there's an ad with Sarah Silverman talking about selling photos of her feet. And here Ringo is giving them away for free. I joined Uber One because I hate delivery fees and I need to save money for when I get canceled. And I don't want to go back to selling pictures of my feet. I mean, how would I even do that? Find out at bignaturaltoes.net. Join Uber One or don't, I don't care. Holy crap, you actually typed in bignaturaltoes.net? <laughs> Pervert. Well, you're here now, so you should probably get something from it. Here's a, a big natural discount on Uber One. Enjoy it, sicko. Second off, during the last couple of weeks, Giles Martin and Julian Lennon, but we had enough of Julian Lennon last week, I think. We're not going to talk about Julian's interview with the fine folks on the Beatles channel, but Giles Martin showed up and he played a couple songs that we haven't gotten yet. Right. This doesn't count as actually having been put out there. Officially leaked. <laughs> Beatles channel will get whatever and whenever, Yeah, but it hasn't been put out on the internet. It hasn't been released through the streaming services so other than giving his usual promotional spiel and he's getting pretty good at that (laughs) you got to get it down you know over and over and over (laughs) yeah well not quite as good as julian julian is getting to the point that he can tell the same story with the same words every time well i should hope so (laughs) given all of his 15 minute hits around the globe for weeks on end so in between telling some of these same stories. Giles did play a couple of the demo slash outtakes, but not Yellow Submarine, which is the one we're all waiting on. Well, yeah, well, that's the, the pot of gold, I think. And so, therefore, it'll, it'll be the last thing right before it or something. Either right before it or, or here, the disc is out, and here you finally get to hear John's Yellow Submarine writing yeah. demo. But uh, the two demos, the first is you know one that we've kind of had before. We talked about that with uh, Darren Murphy, that the folks were able to take the anthology version, the laughing version of Anya Bergen's thing, and between separating out the 5.1 channels and doing an out-of-phase stereo on it, recover the unoverdubbed, non-laughing version of the song. But here it is actually off of the tapes. Right.
we'll talk about it when we actually get the box, but it's there. <laughs> I, I think I think for the most part, you folks all know what it sounds like. Yes, I think so. I'm glad to have it out there. We know it's coming. The other one, we've had shorter versions on bootlegs, but this is, it sounds really good. largely just john and his guitar yes you know the, the evolution of this song reminds me of what i know of the evolution of strawberry fields and that you know he comes up with a phrase and he sings it and this really shows how uh, the song evolved into what we know we had two separate takes that are kind of squashed together in what giles played if you have the beatles channel you can stream the show if you don't have the beatles channel well it is available out there if you're willing to go out and look and, well, not be quite so legal. Horrors. Yeah. Other than that, things have been a little bit quiet. Well, as far as new news, yes, it's, it's true. Ringo's still out there on tour. He's he's getting close to actually finishing his original run, and he's actually going to get into the October run, the run that he was supposed to be doing. And what goes on? He seems to be still happy and energetic and glad to be out on the road. Good old Ringo. Yeah, he's he's doing great. I was a little bit concerned about two months out on the road, but it, it doesn't seem to phase him at all. Well, he's still taking pictures of his feet. Yeah, right. Maybe that's indicative of his health. You know, my feet look healthy, therefore I am. That is one of those things that those uh, never-ending pop-ups on the internet tell you, along with Throw any versions of this food out because doctors tell you it's the most evil thing you can ever eat. Right. And it's like, uh, okay, thank you for telling me that. Right. And you click on it and you have to go through a couple hundred pages and you learn that it's corn or it's peas or it's whatever else. Right. And you look at this stuff and you go, and I still go to McDonald's. (laughs) All right. Our topic this week, I guess a couple months back, we talked about what it might have looked like had they done a 
68, early 69 show that wasn't the rooftop if they followed through on their original plan to do a show at the Roundhouse. Taking songs from the White Album. Yeah, predominantly plus a couple others, yeah. Yeah, that was fun because there was lots of really good material to choose from. So, you know, this time we tried to do something similar. Our first thought was, what if just the American tour, not the whole Germany, Japan, and Philippines tour, but, you know, what if the Beatles have said, no, we're not going to go to the U.S. right now. We will fulfill our obligations, but give us a couple months. Because, you know, there was just so much going on at the time. What if Brian Epstein, who is ill... <laughs> After the Philippines, what if, and, and then, then you had John's comments causing that controversy. What if he said, well, we're going to postpone this tour? It very well could have been that way. And in fact, as we watch all the press that is available, that was something that the media came up to them and said, you know, it's like, well, are you going to cancel or are you going to do something about these comments right now? So, I mean, I very much could have seen them saying, okay, you know, look, let's give us a little bit more time off. We can start work on the next album, and then we can take a month off. we got to remember that this, this all is only 18 days that they did this whole run of the U.S. in 66. Although that's not meant to imply that it was an easy 18 days. Pretty intense. August 20th, 1966. That's the date that will go down in the Beatles' diary as the day that the rings came. And the rains came down so heavily at Crosley Field Stadium last night that for the first time in the history of the Beatles' four-year career, a show had to be cancelled. It wasn't that the Beatles were afraid of getting wet. They wanted to go on just the same. But when one of their road managers, Malcolm Evans, got thrown 20 feet into the air while plugging in their amplifiers due to the fact that water had seeped into the electrical equipment, it was decided that it would be just too dangerous for the show to go on. The concert was supposed to start at 8.30, but at 9 o'clock the rain was still pouring down and the patient crowd of over 18,000 people, by this time soaked to the skin, were told that there would be another half-hour delay while a canopy was put up over the specially built stage and the water swept away. The plan then was that Bobby Head would open the show, followed by the Beatles, but the plan was never put into operation. The rain never eased up for one moment, and at 10.30, when it was evident that anyone using musical equipment would be in danger of electrocution, the audience were told the show is not going on. The Beatles were very upset at this decision. You know, if they're going to delay, if they have a little bit of time built in, they don't necessarily have to do it in 18 days. In particular, they can rearrange. They were still doing, not every show, but a significant number of shows. They did two shows in one day. There was really no need for them to be doing that. Right. And my other supposition about that is, you know, they could, before the tour, have gone to Brian and say, you know, look, our music's going someplace that we cannot reproduce it live on stage to our satisfaction. So why don't we just announce this as we're going to be taking a break from touring after this final U.S. tour. The kids will then come out because it had almost to a certain extent become old hat to the kids in the United States, even the super fans. I think if they were going to go out and do it again, the question would be, well, would there be a bunch of people who would come out to those shows and scream as kind of an obligatory thing? And I don't think the band was interested in that anymore. People were not performing like that anymore. Do you think you're going to be able to see the Beatles when they do come out? Yes, I've got binoculars. I love them. <laughs> I love them. 
You couldn't see them without binoculars. No. <laughs> How much did it cost you to get in here tonight? Six fifty. You think it's worth it, huh? No, I'd pay a million. Why? Oh, because I think they're great. They're the greatest thing on earth, I think. It was kind of a period of change, actually. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's some of the things we're going to talk about is how could this run of the states have been better? I think the first thing we would both agree upon is 18 shows in 18 days, even with days off, no point to it. Right. There's no reason to do it that way. You either stretch it out to a full month, you go to bigger venues, you do one or two where you're doing two shows a day, but not every other day. Then the second thing is, well, I mean, we were on the verge of fallback speakers, the monitors actually becoming a thing for rock shows. They'd been around since 1961. I was interested to discover that Liza Minnelli was apparently the first performer who had her own fallback speakers. And that was as early as 1961. Somebody has to be a pioneer. <laughs> well, I suppose so. The rumors are that they had stage monitors in Atlanta, the Beatles, that is, in 65. There is no evidence of that. There's a guy who says that he actually set up monitors, and that story has become almost but not quite canon. Again, uh, Mark, we're waiting. <laughs> Find the paperwork <laughs> on the foldbacks. But in some fun tonight, Chuck Gunderson's two-volume book, which tells us everything there is to know about the U.S. tour, basically. You know, he's got overhead photos. He's got photos from every conceivable angle in Atlanta. And there are no fallback speakers. It's probably the placement of the speakers behind them. And then there was another set in front of them, which was at an angle where it actually might have reflected back on the stage. Well, I don't know. Seems like if you've got photographs from every angle and there are no monitors, right? Then someone saying that there were is not worthy. <laughs> the problem with that is we know that they could hear themselves better because they actually comment on it a couple of times in the Atlanta show. You know, it's like, oh, wow, this is really loud. We can actually hear what we're doing. And it's like, okay. And I think that's really why the legend lives on. I see. Here's John and Paul talking about, we can actually hear ourselves. You know, maybe that was because of this. And then some guy took credit and here you are. But we bring this up because, well, what if they knew what monitors could do for them after Atlanta? So they said, okay, you know, one of the things we want put in our rider for this month is some form of monitors. They did exist. While they would have been crude, that would have been a heck of a lot better than what they'd ever had before. Well, you know, they didn't ask for foldbacks in 66 when they did tour. So I'm not sure why that would be. But there were people who were beginning to use foldbacks. So if the tour was delayed, that is entirely a, a possibility. I'm not sure what the date that Liza Minnelli decided to break out the foldbacks. But I'd look into... Uh, the Grateful Dead. They had the best PA for many years. I wouldn't be surprised if they started doing that early because they definitely had sound people. But at the very least, by mid-67, late 67, monitors existed. And, you know, these boys with right. the Beatles, if they existed, they could have gotten them 
uh, as part of their ride around the tour. August of 66 is probably a little bit early. Could be. I mean, we're, we're just making this up anyway. So. <laughs> this is all supposition, but I mean, if we're going to base this on reality. We're going to say that they were cutting edge and therefore had foldbacks so they could hear themselves. Could have at least had access to some form of monitoring technology. Right. We'll just go hog wild. Uh, someone created in-ear monitors and yeah, they gave them to them. No. <laughs> right. That would make the touring experience significantly better. Again, probably not better enough to make them want to go on the road again, but make them have much better memories of this hypothetical tour than uh, they had of the actual tour. Well, in discussing this, you kind of sent me down a rabbit hole because at first we talked about, you know, what would their set list be based on what they played in concert. So I started coming up with a list. But then when you talked about, well, if you put the tour off and there were certain songs that would be incorporated in this tour, it kind of, as I said, <laughs> sent me thinking, well, how would that work? You know, they started out with a set of songs in the first run in 64. They actually changed a healthy number of songs by the time they returned in August of 64. And the uh, August of 65 set list was two-thirds different songs from either of their runs through the United States. And then they added a couple more for the British 65 tour. And then in by 66, of course, the rumor is always, oh, well, you know, they didn't want to learn anything, but they still learned four or five new songs. You had, you had Nowhere Man, you had Paperback Writer. They were actually willing to try a little bit. Yeah, there are certain kinds of songs I think they felt like they could reproduce well live. How Yesterday became part of that list, I'll never know. I mean, it's not bad. It's just very different. Did they think they had to play Yesterday live? Well, it was a pretty big song in the United States. Okay, so before we actually get to set list, we, uh, I had a couple other things on here that would have probably been necessary to make this a better touring experience for them. Certainly better security and ticketing. Um, you know, the, the 66 tour, while it was better than the 65 tour, it was very much not in control. Right. When you read the books about each tour, it would just got more and more 
crazy. Rather than more and more organized, it tended to be even crazier the next time. And this, despite the things that they were actually doing, I mean, you know, there were actually backstage passes set up and there were, you know, certain colors for different levels of access, but the kids still found a way around it. (laughs) Darn those kids, yes. (laughs) <laughs> and in part, it's because they didn't have nearly enough security and the cops just didn't care. <laughs> My favorite story from that run was uh, some kids rented a limo and actually managed to pretend to be with the circle. And they got backstage and they got into the dressing rooms. No passes, no nothing. But because they arrived in a limo, they let them in and let them backstage. Yeah, it was a different time. Cops weren't thinking that girls would be doing that. Our theoretical run here would require much better security. So Brian would have had to have gotten all of that settled and gotten all of that out of the way. And, you know, that would also include things like the airplanes and not having to rush from a show, get on the plane, and then check in in the next city. Well, it's kind of intriguing to think, what if the Beatles had had the conversation with Brian, you know, we don't need to do it that way. There's no reason change the tour, you know, make it longer. So we have some breathing room. Let's change the security. Let's change the sound. And they had the time to do that. Yeah, exactly. Especially if we give them an extra four or five months to get all of this business taken care of. It's our game. Uh, And then the last thing, uh, that I've got on my list here is this is absolutely no longer the sounds incorporated, the multiple opening act show. Let's settle on a single opening act. Which kind of ties into my thought that they would almost have to promote this as something different that in real life, they would become Sergeant Pepper in a way because they are not going to want to, run out on stage themselves and have a third of the audience screaming like fools, they want to play this music. I mean, they've changed the way they want to be heard. And so there would have to be some sort of presentation of this is a different thing. We're growing mustaches. We're changing the way we look. You're not going to scream. We're going to play a different kind of music. And so that plays into having a, an, an opening act that would be worthy of this different experience. It's no longer a pop touring show. In my choice, I kind of had them make an accession to Brian, and it's like, okay, we're going to have a single opening act. Uh, Let's bring the circle on. They've signed with you. They've got this songwriter, Paul Simon. We've heard his stuff. These are the kind of guys we'd like to hang out with through the extent of this month. You had an alternate thought. Ravi Shankar. They knew of him, and... You know, this was the time when they were connecting. He was a, a featured performer at Monterey just a few months later. I don't know whether that would have worked or not. It's an interesting proposal. It's an interesting idea. It certainly would be a difference to the audience. Here's this new kind of show, and here's Ravi Shankar. <laughs> well, I mean, you could argue that it wasn't successful for George when... He put Ravi Shankar out there in front of him. That would be an argument because, you know, I thought it was a great part of the show. Let's get to the show itself. What I kind of proposed, and based upon all that we've said here, they're not going to do just 12 songs. It's not going to be a modern three-hour rock show, but 
they can do 18, 19, 20 songs. Right. And that's fair. You know, I don't know which way you went, but my choice was predominantly they would be going with stuff they played before, but there would be some other songs that they would want to bring into the set list, which would be brand new here. Particularly the, the Rubber Soul, Revolver, and then maybe right. even the the single, which would exist at this point, Strawberry Fields at Penny Lane, although I think we're in agreement. Ain't no way they do Strawberry Fields live at that point in time. Well, I, I'd even argue that would those songs exist, you know, because Strawberry Fields, I think, relies so much on that experience in Spain that I don't know if it would have been written. If the U.S. tour is delayed and they weren't quite ready to move on to Sergeant Pepper. Right. I'm just thinking that he could still have that same experience, but would he have that song ready to go workable if they're doing a tour? Strawberry Fields I wrote when I was making How I Won the War in Almeria, Spain. And it took me six weeks to write the song. I, I was writing it all the time. I was making the film. And as anybody knows about film work, it's a lot of hanging around. Yeah, he wrote Strawberry Fields on a beach in Spain. But really, Strawberry Fields is about indecision. right? He'd go round the, the, um, the rest of the cast, you know, asking for... Um, you know, those indecisive things, you know, uh, yeah, but, uh, maybe, but only, uh, you know, all of that stuff that people go through and without actually, you know, uh, you know, I, you know, my tree must be high or, or low. I can't make up my mind. You know, it was uh, one of them where you're sitting on the fence or whatever. It was, uh, that's what I think that song was about, you know. I don't think Strawberry Fields is one that, they would have even considered as, well, we can play this. Right. Uh, you know, yesterday is one thing. Everything they do on Strawberry Fields, that's not something they could do live. Right. And I think the same is true for the flip side. I mean, how, I don't know how you can do Penny Lane without horns or a synthesizer. I think they might have been able to find a way, but well, we're getting into set list, so let's let's get into the set list. <laughs> okay, I kind of divided it up into a couple pieces: an opening, an acoustic set, and then just a middle set, then a conclusion at the end. Here, I've kind of done what Paul does now. He's got some songs that he might swap out on any given night. Right. The opening five songs, I've got one from each of them, and I start the show with Penny Lane as the side of the new single that they could conceivably play. It would have been difficult, but I don't think it would have been that much more difficult than an arrangement of yesterday. You know, it might have been a much more pop version arranged for just the four instruments. Although, uh, one thing we didn't mention, you know, maybe they would have a guest or two, uh, certainly a keyboard player on there with them. Right. Penny Lane would then be followed by uh, Nowhere Man, uh, If I Needed Someone.
yellow submarine from Ringo, which again would be a little bit different, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> necessarily so. It's already a beloved song. It's a song that Ringo could and does sing pretty well every night, so you don't have the act naturally problem. <laughs> right. You start the show giving each of them a feature. And then the last of this opening bit would be either a paperback writer for a newer song or All My Loving, you know, going back. When I saw that set, I thought that paperback writer was good. I don't see them going doing All My Loving because it's such an early song. You've got a set of relatively new music and the paperback writer would hang with that rather than All My Loving. If we leave All My Loving as an alternate, move it with one of these other songs I've got here. Perhaps, yes. Which we're getting to. Yeah. The truth is, is the, the way I started off my set was kind of doing a, an overall view of, of the material that they did on the uh, the tours that they did without adding anything new. Okay. But then I thought, well, except that's, you know, the, the set that I ended up with, I didn't like, and therefore I felt like John wouldn't like it either. Okay. Um, but I did start it off in that rock and roll review thing. I started off with a big number, which would be Hard Day's Night. Okay. Because I think that opening chord just sets everything off. The same way that Paul used it a couple of years back. Right. The, the list that I constructed basically has nothing to do with the show that I think that they would want to do based on your timeline. See, you totally messed me up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're here for. <laughs> That's more intriguing. Rather than them covering a bunch of the early stuff because it was just stuff they'd already played, it would be much better to you know hear them play She Said, She Said. But how are you going to play that live? God, it's just guitars and bass and drums. Gabby, Gabby Road. Gabby, Gabby Road on the river. No? Forget it. No, here we go.
they could always strip it back. Well, I don't know that they had to. I mean, John and George on guitars, Paul would play bass grudgingly, and Ringo plays drums. The harmonies are not complicated. Since we had mentioned the Giles Martin thing, Giles Martin insists that Paul is actually playing bass on She Said, She Said. In that interview, he says, I didn't ask Paul, but you'll listen to it. There's no question the isolated bass is Paul McCartney. <laughs> so is he changing Beatles history again? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see when we get the revolver box. But since you bought it up here, it's like, that is very interesting. It's him playing bass on She Said. Okay, so Paul wouldn't play it so grudgingly. Listen to my bass part. So, you know, that kind of song would just work really, really well. So you, you kind of now would think that they might go for more new material. I mean, like you say, I kind of built this around. They'll add some new songs, but they don't want to learn all of Rubber Soul and all of Revolver. No, that <laughs> that's probably true. But you can intersperse it with some really good things, but there's no reason why they wouldn't play some of this stuff. It's really doable. You and I both have gone seen tribute bands that play this stuff great and don't require a synthesizer on a lot of it. You know, why can't the band play Rain? Especially if they do bring a keyboard player on with them for some of the songs. I mean, you had mentioned Nicky Hopkins. Nicky Hopkins right. is someone that they could have gotten for a month in the States. Right. And they were the Beatles. <laughs> You're still thinking, start with newer material? If they were going to promote their new sound, they're not going to start with a Hard Day's Night, as great as that is as, as an opener. They're going to mm. start with something newer. And You mentioned She Said, She Said. Of my other choices here, like you say, you, you thought All My Loving was a little bit early, but uh, right. of the rest of them, you think that's a reasonably good contemporary set that they might start with here's five songs one for each of them yellow submarine it's tough they'd really have to change that one because it relies so much on sound effects well they could um, go back to john's original acoustic no no no, no. <laughs> not until we hear it <laughs> so i don't know and you know they've already shown that act naturally didn't quite work uh, what goes on would they pull that out for this no ringo material it would either have to be yellow submarine or matchbox or, or boys they'll recycle if you got troubles <laughs> which actually would have kind of fit in here <laughs> after this opening set of relatively new material i followed the mccartney through line and have them go into a, an acoustic or quasi-acoustic set that's cool so we're moving away from the one for each of them. We've got three John songs. We've got two Paul songs with an alternate. We've got John going through a girl and uh, this boy. And in my life, again, that's where you'd want the keyboard player there. Right. Then you have Paul coming up with either I've Just Seen a Face or We Can Work It Out. Those can be two sort of alternate songs. We Can Work It Out, he played in 65 in England. Right. And then closing out this acoustic set with Yesterday. I would replace this boy with... Here, there, and everywhere. Making it three Paul songs and two John songs. Could we recreate the backing line? Oh, I think so. Maybe make it a little bit more harmony-driven than it already is. If you want, you bribe the sound guy. I mean, yeah, that could almost be slightly a cappella. Bring on the Beach Boys sound guy to show them how to mix vocals live. 
<laughs> right. And then I would do We Can Work It Out. I've just seen a face. I don't know that it was ever a thing with the band. Yeah, I mean, that kind of came out more because it became one of Paul's favorites live later during the solo era. He certainly loved playing it live. Yeah. It's equally valid to say, no, they would stick with the set list. They wouldn't switch out, but we're just having fun. Yeah, if we're going to talk about whether or not they'd be willing to learn a bunch of material for uh, from Rubber Soul and Revolver, then I'm not sure that they'd be like, I will play that or that, or maybe that or that. Like, no, we're going to play one song. We're going to finish this set. <laughs> it depends upon how tired they were of being on the road. We're kind of giving them enough comfort and enough modern sensibility that it wouldn't be quite so bad. I noticed on our list, we both duplicated pairing A Hard Day's Night with Help back to back. And that um, kind of comes off of the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. You know, the way uh, the album, but, but it works. Yeah, it does. I think Ticket to Ride after Help. Not necessarily acoustic, but songs which are a little bit different, which would have fit. You think they might do an intermission at that point? Uh, I don't know. Were intermissions more or less common at rock shows at that point in time? I mean, again, the tour packages, you always had 10, 15 minutes where they had to switch out all the instruments. Right. I'd say they were less, but, you know, I saw Crosby, Stills, and Nash relatively early on, and they broke stuff up because they played a lot of songs. Obviously, a half-hour set, you're not going to necessarily break it up, but if you're talking about a 90-minute set, you might have an intermission in the middle there. Right. And also keep in mind, there will have been an intermission between Ravi and And, and them coming on, yeah. We assume that the kids are excited, but maybe a little bit more quiet. You know, maybe maybe akin to the Japan show. Yeah, agreed. They're respectful, but sometimes they do get a little bit overheated, shall we say. A 10-minute intermission might not be a bad idea, especially when you can send them out to go buy souvenirs. <laughs> and you want that. We'll mark the intermission as a maybe. Yeah. So they, they come back from the, the intermission... Or they just continue on. Yeah, the, the next two songs I've got are Hard Day's Night and Help. And I think we kind of got that idea because of the Capitol folks and what they did with Beatles of the Hollywood Bowl. Although they did not just create that for Live at the Hollywood Bowl. It was an actual thing. Uh, Hard Day's Night Help and on down into the set in 65. I knew it wasn't my genius. Then we followed that up with Things We Said Today, one that I, I like a whole lot. It's an older song, but it's one which aged very well within the Beatles canon. Things We Said Today would not have been out of place on Rubber Soul. Interesting. I'd put Ticket to Ride there. I end this middle set with George coming on for either uh, Think for Yourself or Taxman. Yeah, I saw that you put those together. I thought to myself... Both of them should be played. Absolutely. 
Well, I mean, you're not real fond of Penny Lane opening other things up. Well, let's open up the show with Taxman. You got the one, two, three, four, but then John and Paul have to agree to letting George open the show, which while they did that in Washington, D.C., for what they're advertising as their final American tour for a while. He opened the album. That is true. I'd put Taxman instead of Penny Lane. And in fact, I'm not really sure why they never actually tried to play Taxman. That's certainly a performable song for... That makes more sense than try to shoehorn yesterday in there. <laughs> right. Oh, well, we've already given George If I Needed Someone. Do we really want to give him two songs off of this album? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're assuming that there is more of this uh, internecine fighting that might not have been the case in 1966, 1967. Exactly. And they were feeling good towards George. He got three songs on Revolver, got to open the album. 
then then I have them them closing off with the again we go back to we're going to alternate between them we're going to go for a, a solid rock and roll ending to the show and what you have is kind of towards the beginning of their career other than think for yourself we're coming out of a relatively early grouping of songs if it's things we said today that's one thing if we replace things we said today with ticket to ride even Ticket to Ride wasn't a new song at that point. No, but certainly a newer song. It's of the same era as Help. Right. This close, I've got six songs here. We start with Paul doing uh, either Saw Her Standing There, She's a Woman. You know, Saw Her Standing There has to be somewhere in this set, but it doesn't have to be played every night. Right. And She's a Woman is, is a little bit less of a rocker, but it's still a good, solid rock and roll song. You have it separated you got four songs and then you close them with six but think for yourself which is the end of those four songs is gonna abut to this next group and in my ear i'd put day tripper so you're saying go from think for yourself to day tripper to then alternating saw saying there she's a woman correct the next we've got roller beethoven going back to george it's another one that george has liked to perform a lot through the years. He, you know, he was still not tired of it all the way through Japan. Right, right. If we're saying this is going to be their last show for a while, that kind of harkens back to their first show in the States. There's a reason to put it here towards the end. Right. We got to give Ringo another song, so so we're going and giving him boys. Well, and I would disagree with that. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he'd want another song. He, he did his start time. That's all he wants. Really? So you think the one song, even though they've doubled the number of songs, you think he wouldn't want to do a second vocal? Yeah, I think he'd be just fine. Okay. I guess the other way they could do that is just put the two of them together. <laughs> have a real start time. Yeah. And have a real start time. Right. But your thought is that, particularly at that point in time, Ringo was not necessarily looking to sing. No, no. I don't think that that was his thing he had a little spotlight and that was fine if we don't have boys and day tripper has been moved up then we go right to the final two roll over beethoven running a twist and shout my question here is do you leave twist and shout for the very last or do you let paul do the closer and i guess the other question the long or the short version of twist and shout where they say we're already doing a long enough set we don't need to do the full version of the song to do a short twist and shout into Long Tall Sally. That is how you think it, it should go, is the, the short twist and shout into Long Tall Sally. And, and then I have it as being alternating between Long Tall Sally and I'm Down. John just loved to play I'm Down. We'd have to knock Nikki out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> they have another organ up there. And in fact, they would have to because, well, John was good at busting the organ. We know that. They they carried around a busted organ through the entirety of the 65 U.S. tour. Is that a euphemism? No. Okay. No, no, no. It, and we're not talking about Ringo's feet again either. <laughs> Just checking. So of the set list I had here, that's 20 songs. That's five songs where there are alternates. And it's actually only five songs that they hadn't played before on tour. Right. Seven John, seven Paul... Three George, two Ringo, and then Day Tripper, which is kind of both a John and a Paul. That's my list. Is there anything else on here that you just like seriously object to? Did I object to? No. I'm sorry that uh, you can't do that. Didn't make it. Would you have put that in there? Perhaps. Or maybe as one of the alternates. It 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 probably would would have worked best in that closer. Um, in the in that slot. 
Yeah. Since we moved, we got rid of boys. We got rid of boys, that... and we moved uh, Day Tripper up to after uh, Think for Yourself. Right. And then Taxman, Day well, Tripper maybe going... maybe it's an alternate. Maybe we move that to the opener and taking out Penny Lane. Yeah, I, I like Taxman opening it up. So roll over Beethoven into You Can't Do That into uh, Twist and Shout. Or you can't do that after Day Tripper. We moved Day Tripper up. So think for yourself, Day Tripper, you can't do that. Then saw her standing there. She, Yeah. Although that starts to bunch up the Paul songs at the end here. You got two Paul showcases. And after Think for Yourself, we've got Day Tripper. Then we've got uh, uh, saw her standing there. She's a woman alternating. We got Roll Over Beethoven. Then we've got you, you Can't Do That, then Twist and Shout, then, okay, so that works. Then I'm Down or Long Toss Alley. Uh, and You Can't Do That, they played on tour. It's an it's a slightly older song. It's a slightly, even to the, to the hardcore fans, it would have been a less popular song. I don't know. That's a possible set list. Now the hard question, okay, you know, we, we, we proposed all this stuff and we said how it possibly could have happened do you think there's any way that this might have actually happened that way no okay (laughs) i just don't see that happening and i'll go back to no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should you know the fact that they had the break after the uh last tour set up everything that came you know strawberry fields and penny lane and the whole uh, Sergeant Pepper thing and any any movement from that would have just wrecked it all. <laughs> yeah, I guess the only other place they could have conceivably slipped a tour in during their existing time is in place of Magical Mystery Tour. If following All You Need Is Love, Brian had set up a tour, Brian dies, they would still go on that tour. They wouldn't know how to get out of it it would be so locked in. It's like, well, what are we going to do? Well, we've got this core plan. We, we've got to, you know, we've got to do this. <laughs> That's possible. Or else they would have just let some shark in to save their ass. You know, somebody would have gotten in there early before Klein. Mm, maybe that would have been for the better. Stigwood. Uh, well, but they'd already said we ain't going to work for Stigwood. Right. No matter what the situation was now. Yeah. That's, that's the question. Would, would Stigwood have been involved with this theoretical late 67 tour, which ironically would have fallen. Well, in August, (laughs) I'm not going to rule it out completely, but I think we've also made too many assumptions that probably wouldn't have, worked within the context of what was going on in the band. If we were to say that either Brian got sick or August of 66, the the American tour promoters got spooked off for a couple of months uh, and they delayed the tour, the, the, the American tour probably would have gone off in early 67, more or less the way the 66 tour went off. You know, maybe a little bit less bigger than Jesus controversy, but it would not have been a good time. More acid. (laughs) Uh, That would have been interesting. 
maybe they could have had Jimi Hendrix as the opening act. <laughs> you know, Jimmy, you can go with the monkeys or you can go with the Beatles. It's like, is there any possible question? You know, bring on Billy and bring on Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> and I could, you know, since we're just imagining stuff, I can just imagine George's reaction. We're going to tour with who? <laughs> <laughs> no, George, not the who. No, 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 we're not going to do that. <laughs> because the Abbott and Costello routine more so easily into a rock and roll thing. <laughs> yeah. We're in the process of scheduling something with Madeline Baccaro, who is um, probably one of the world's foremost experts on Yoko Ono. Right. I don't know if it'll be next week, but it will be in the near future, shall we say? Before we get to Revolver, we're, we're going to have Madeline, and we're, we're really yes. looking forward to that. We're going through any number of things. You may have heard Madeline on some of these other shows, but uh, she became a personal friend of Yoko's. That'll be a, a good talk. She has a book, which is not just a book. It is a full biography of Yoko, well over 500 pages. You, you, put, it, you put it next to tune in, it's, it doesn't embarrass itself as far as the <laughs> width of the book. <laughs> we're chatting with her and we're, we're getting our agenda together, but I, I'm really looking forward to that. There, there's a lot of interesting things that we can discuss regarding Yoko, so be on the lookout for that. Yes. Looking forward to it. Then the revolver box, and we can bitch about why we haven't gotten any word on sometime in New York City or <laughs> concert for Bangladesh, because no. well, we always have to have something to be angry about. No, good day, sunshine. <laughs> but we will be spending all of November and into December talking about the revolver box, and then, then well, we'll see what's coming and where we're at. You know, Hopefully right. there will be some additional christmas fun for us cool and of course we always have our end of year things although as mentioned things have actually been a little bit quiet this year beetle wise but we'll still wrap things up and talk about what's going on and what we expect right all right very good so we will be back next week with a new show all right we'll see you then Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
but you can figure it this way. They will fly from Los Angeles this morning on their chartered jet. They will have to be in town for that 3 o'clock show. Therefore, the foursome and their entourage will have to alight by 1 o'clock. Chances are it will be Boeing Field rather than Seattle-Tacoma International Airport as the Boeing installation is 10 miles closer to town. It's smaller and there's more escape routes. This is Charles C. Boland for CFUN News. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals. But they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. Hey, hey.